1: Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out?
0: Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG 13. It's The Noble and Roost Show. Brought to you by BallIsLife.com. And dash radio
0: welcome to another episode of the noble and ruse show presented by ball is life i am your host Ruth williams along with my guy zach noble and today we are fortunate enough to have a very special guest um ben dubose who covers the houston rockets for the rockets wire uh, usa today ben how you doing
1: doing well Roosh. how are you bud
0: then, all right, man. Uh, as you can see, I, I fluctuate on Twitter. I go up and down depending on what the news cycle is, is letting us know, but you know, it's another we day. We all do. right? Um, so today we want to spend time talking about Daryl Morey, um, obviously left the Houston Rockets and subsequently went to the Philadelphia 76, 76ers. And then shortly after that news broke, uh, everyone was informed that the Rockets chose to hire Steven Silas as their new head coach. So today we kind of want to Go down memory lane with Daryl, reflect on his tenure with the Rockets, and yep. talk about the implications of such. So Ben, um, you know, talk about Daryl Moore. I mean, I, I yep. remember him. I was on the real GM boards. If anyone remembers what those were on the Houston page uh, back when I was an admin over there or a mod, um, and I remember when Maury, when we signed Morey, no one really knew what to think. You know, I remember he came from the Celtics front office in some capacity, uh, and he was kind of labeled as like a nerd or you know, uh, an MIT. You know, nerd kind of guy. And it's like that, that was like the, the profile on him uh, as far as real jam went. Yep. And then over time, I grew to love the guy. You know, the Rockets never had a losing record with, with him at the helm. He made bold moves. He landed James Harden, obviously. So, you know, from the beginning of Daryl Moore, like, what are some of the things that you remember that stand out, some of the moves, both good and bad, over the years?
1: Yeah, the first one that really stood out to me, I would say the summer of 2008, when he had been the full-time GM for a little over a year, when he traded Dante Green after the 2008 Summer League, when he just went off, and that brought in Ron Artest, and that worked out really well for the Rockets. I know they didn't keep him long-term, but that team with Artest in 2009, they won the first playoff series in over a decade, and quite frankly, if Tracy and Yao stay healthy, even if just Yao stays healthy... They might have won it all. They took the Lakers to seven, even with Tracy not playing, with Yao going out after game three. That was a really special team, and getting our test was a big part of that. And I thought it was so creative what they did, leveraging green after a hot summer league, because we've seen this a million times, Roosh, especially back then when the summer league was relatively new, in that you would have a lot of GMs that if a guy has a great summer league, think, oh, you know, they've got the next star. And the reality is the competition is nowhere close. It's a relatively empty gym in Vegas. And I love the fact that, you know, Gerald saw, hey, this is a great opportunity to sell high. So when he took that guy that had the great summer league, dealt him for Ron Artest, that was when my eyebrow picked up But yeah, just what we've read about analytics and all his background with the Celtics and the analytics community at large, as it pertains to sports, that Artest deal in 08 really raised my eyebrow. And then You know, I would just say in general, it's a little ironic that he's going to Philadelphia, which, you know, the foundation of the current Sixers, you think back to the process, Sam Hankey getting the top draft picks for. Uh, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, how the foundation of that team was built. Because the most impressive thing about Maury and the Rockets was that he was able to rebuild without doing that. He had to rebuild after Tracy and Yao went down, and then they let our tests go because, you know, with Yao being hurt and Tracy not being the same, it didn't really make sense for the Rockets to keep him long term. Yet, Les Alexander, then the owner, was not going to allow the Rockets to tank. That's not the way he wanted to do it. go through a couple of seasons winning, you know, 15, 20 games. So as a result, Maury had to just constantly, it was like trying to turn a nickel into a dime and, you know, a dime into a quarter and a quarter into two before you eventually get to the dollar that is James Harden. And so, you know, I think back to the 2010 through 2012 range, all the innovative deals that they, you know, the way they just constantly just slowly took, calculated gambles you know starting in 2009 they dealt uh ray for alston for kyle lowry lowry was a guy off the bench in memphis i believe that at the time did not really profile all that great by a lot of traditional metrics it was uh the analytics and alston was their starting point guard for the last four years and Morey took a gamble on him and then you know i talk about turning a dime into a quarter well then turning a quarter into i suppose a half dollar or two quarters was in the summer of 2012 when Maury flipped Lowry to Toronto for basically a reverse (laughs) protected lottery pick. At the time, that was basically unheard of. No one in the NBA was doing the reverse protection, which basically guaranteed that the team getting the pick, then Houston knew it would be the lottery. It wouldn't be conveyed from Toronto if Toronto made the playoffs. So that's why it was protected on both ends. And then of course, a few months after that, was flipping that pick as the centerpiece and i believe it eventually became stephen adams but yeah it was the centerpiece of the deal that landed james harden and of course maury seeing that james harden was worth the max that oklahoma city would not give him at that time and of course since then harden has grown into a perennial MVP player, clearly one of the top five players in the league every single year. And on some years, even better than that, depending on your perspective. So the bottom line is, you know, a lot of people will talk about Maury and the stars. You know, I think Daryl getting Dwight Howard to sign in Houston, everybody remembers how Dwight went out and of course, eventually converting to the Mike D'Antoni ball. Getting Dwight to come to Houston was a big deal because the years before that Houston had struck out on so many big names. They traded for Harden. So I think convincing Dwight to come, that was a big point. They of the franchise uh they did the same thing with chris paul even though he was traded to houston chris paul picked houston we all know that and that's why the clippers did that leverage deal to get him to houston same thing with russell westbrook a year from now and so i think a lot of people recency bias and big names will think of daryl by bringing in Dwight, by bringing in chris paul by bringing in russell westbrook and of course james harden and that's true but you know as a as a rockets guy my perspective on it That's actually when it got easier for Daryl, when he had something to sell from. What really impressed me about Daryl, I would say, was the 2008 through 2012 years, he didn't have much of a base. The talent that he had, Tracy McGrady and Yao Ming, they broke down way too early, yet he still found a way to get himself to James Harden. And then after getting James Harden, they were positioned a lot better in terms of their perception to land at Dwight Howard. And at that point, you had a perennial contender. But yeah, just the way they just constantly did the little moves around the edges in 09, 2010, 2011. And of course, you know, I mentioned Lowry and the lottery pick, the reverse protection, just all the little things over those years that eventually, even without taking, yep. because anybody can figure out, dude, lose a lot of games and get a top draft pick and hopefully you get a transcendent talent. That's easy. Les Alexander, the right yeah, time, was not going to let that happen. So the fact that Daryl found a way to do all of that uh, with one hand tied behind his back, and get them into you know the James Harden era. That's what I think of the most with Gerald. As as creative as it gets as an NBA executive.
2: That's amazing revisionist theory. There, <laughs> I mean, going down and that historical. I appreciate that. That was good. So what you mentioned there, a lot of guys that were. I mean, he bought low on so many guys and reinvented yep. them and recreated them and um, bought them at the right time. Whether it's Kyle Lowry, Dwight Howard, Russell Westbrook, even. Uh, Chris Paul, a little bit, Chris Paul has always been rock solid. And then, um, Robert Covington, I'd even throw in that group for sure. Um, and he's reinvented these guys and done different things that, that they've never done before in their careers, uh, which has been pretty damn impressive. Marginally, um, you mentioned guys like Dante green and then <laughs> just random guys they are finding here with the little assets and the late draft picks. They can, I mean, the Ben McAmores, Daniel house. As of lately, um, I guess looking back on it, when, I mean, when did Tillman come in here really from, when did it go from Les Alexander to Tillman?
1: 2017, like the agreement was July and then it was finalized in October. So just before the 2017, 2018 season.
0: Right, right before the Chris Paul's first season. Okay. So, so Les almost, Zach, for your information, when the Rockets won their first championship, their first franchise championship, then correct me if I'm wrong, I'm pretty sure Les Alexander took over. That was his first year as the GM. And he was actually battling it, uh, duking it out with Toman Fertitta at the time, I think. Um, Les got the team. So he inherited the roster. Yeah. um, And he won back to back titles that way. See,
1: that's one of those scenarios. You're exactly right. In that, I wonder how much of the PR battle right now is different if Chris Paul's hamstring doesn't go out. And I'm not trying to be a Tillman Fertitta apologist, but what I'm saying is that Les walked in, what he did in the mid-90s, in 94-95, Les walked into that team. He did not do anything, yet he still gets sort of the glow of those trophies in Houston because technically he was the owner of the first major team in Houston that won a, a sports championship at the highest level. And Fertitta almost did that same thing in his first year. I'm not saying that should change his legacy because truth be told, Chris Paul's hamstring going out at the wrong time in 2018 has nothing to do with Tillman Fertitta. With that said, if those Rockets had won a championship with Tillman Fertitta up on that stage accepting the trophy, does he get a longer leash? I'm not saying it changes any of the fundamentals, but it's one of those things that I think about because, you know, Les Alexander, he wasn't a bad owner. He also wasn't the best in the league. Well, let's not get carried away. But he also, he often got the benefit of the doubt based on those trophies. Fertitta never did based on how uh, 2018 went down. And then, of course, from there, it's like you're that close. How do you get back? Um. And in the last two years, they haven't been able to. And then at that point, everything is under the microscope.
0: Well, now it fl- it almost flips. It's almost the exact opposite, which is where I, that's where I was going to go with it, right? So Les walked into the titles, wasn't yeah. his team never built a championship uh, uh, a contender even really? I mean, the only team under Les that went far after that, I guess there were a few in the late mid to late nineties. So I guess that's wrong. I guess I'm wrong on there. So I'll, I'll the all T team, so,
2: teams.
0: Yeah, but my my yeah. point is the end result, which is yeah. unfortunately nowadays what everyone zeroes in on is did you win a ring or did you not win a ring right my point is you know tillman walked into that and now that they didn't win it and they don't capitalize on it people are going to look look at it and reflect as he inherited a team that could have won a championship and then ruined it instead of you know oh he and this is theoretical assuming that it you know gets bad which we can get there and have that discussion but if they do not get back to the point of actual contention i think people will look back and say he inherited a team screwed it up whereas les you know, inherited a team, won some rings, and then didn't really do anything yeah. in the next whatever, however many years. Uh, and look, it's a whole different discussion. But, but legacies change. Mike D'Antoni's probably still here. Yep, to win that championship, and maybe Daryl is still here. I was going to say um, back to Daryl Morey though. I think I realized that I loved the guy when he traded for uh, when he traded Vasilis Spinulis
1: <laughs> the Scola
0: for Scola, right? Yeah. That's when I realized, like, whoa, he did it with, with the Spurs, who are obviously savvy, and he did it with a, an in-division rival, right? Um, kind of unheard of, you know, getting like a player that's such yeah. a contributor and for a team. So, yeah.
1: One of the things with Daryl that I think people forget because these days everybody has such a short memory, he's so diverse in his approach. Now, he's always going to be analytics-minded. There's not going to be a lot of mid-range shots unless you're truly elite at it, like Chris Paul three-pointers have largely been undervalued, although maybe the pendulum starting to swing the other way now that so many teams are trying to do the same thing. I know we've talked about that before, but generally speaking, mm, you there are the- cert- certain analytic principles that he abides by, but the small ball, the three-pointers, that's not the essence of Daryl Morey. Honestly, the essence of Daryl Morey, in my opinion, is zigging while other teams zag. He is always trying to find the value that, to me, defines Daryl Morey as a GM because you know it's easy to think about the Rockets as, oh, their team small ball right now. Go back a few years, they had Dwight Howard. They were very conventional. They had Dwight Howard, and they had a backup center named Clint Capella, who was really good. They were much more conventional back then, and that was with Daryl Morey leading the way. And then we talk about how they played <clears> with <throat> Russell Westbrook right now. They had Chris Paul before that. What Daryl Morey tries to do is adapt his team to... To what gives them the best shot, where the value is to potentially win a title in the NBA. And as long as you're not the best team, that's the way you have to think of it. If you don't have the most talent, you've got to find some advantage at the margins. And what I'll throw out there, you know, everybody nationally loves to hate on the Rockets because of iso ball because it's not to a lot of people aesthetically pleasing to watch. And I understand that. But why did they play iso ball? Well, part of it because it's the strength of star player. Harden's arguably the greatest iso player in NBA history. And Chris Paul back in the day was very good at that as well. But beyond just the fact that it's good for Harden and CP3, the Rockets went iso because it was the foil of the Warriors. The Warriors had all this shooting, all this ball movement. You know what happens if the Rockets try and play exactly like the Warriors do? The Warriors just beat them because they're better at it. That's their game and they have more talent. What the Rockets tried to do with Maury was go the opposite way, not just because it plays to harden strengths, which it does, but also they tried to muck it up to make the game ugly so that those Warriors teams weren't as comfortable. So it'd be a little bit more of a slog, which we saw in those playoff series, especially when KD was out there in 2018 and 2019. And to me, that's sort of quintessential Gerald Maury. It's not just, oh, they got to shoot a lot of threes, or they got to play small, or they got to play a certain way. No, you look at the Rockets teams and, you know, he, The beginning of Daryl's tenure, he was building around a Hall of Fame center in Yao Ming. They have tried to play so many different ways. Mm. What Daryl Morey really is, is about just trying to find value.
2: I think where a lot of people misinterpret Daryl Morey and this Rockets, I mean, run with James Harden they've been on. uh, You're right. They've tried so many different styles of play. But at the end of the day, he's just trying to build the best team possible. Yeah, he has a style. He's always wanted to play and he prefers the style. But at the end of the day, he's trying to chase this all-time great team in the Golden State Warriors and just try to build the best team. And he doesn't really care how they fit or what comes about throughout that. That's why the styles of play have changed from Dwight Howard, from Chris Paul to Russell Westbrook. I personally think James Harden, outside of Dwight Howard, has never had the perfect fit. And even Dwight Howard wasn't perfect fit because the personality wasn't great. Um, mm-hmm. Their personalities didn't mesh at the um, perfect time either um, as well. So it's like, they've never really had the most, the talented there or they've never had the fit, but Daryl Morey, I personally look back at it, It's like, it's really going year to year. It's like, could he have done anything else? Like looking back at the guys he could have got, I mean, Jimmy Butler, maybe Paul George, maybe, but, the chances aren't great. Jimmy yep. Butler would have probably been the best chance. Um, there's no guarantee him and Harden win. I think that's the best fit they would have had. But you guys tell me this. I mean, who do you really realistically think that Daryl Morey missed out on, that he could have made a better team and did did more w- what he had than what he did?
0: So people forget, <clears throat> uh, I think it was summer. It was the summer that LeBron went back to Cleveland. So that was yep. –
1: Yep. 15? Was that summer 15 or was that yeah. 14?
0: fourteen? 14? I mean, so 14, yeah. 14. So people forget, Chris Bosh was coming to Houston. It was reported, it was about to happen, and uh, this kind of ties into something else I want to talk about. Um, so Les Alexander was not really known for being a spender. A lot of people, when they tried to defend him, specifically on Twitter, they'll bring up, oh, Les wasn't a spender either, and that's true, but uh, keep in mind, that specific season, they had James Harden, Dwight Howard, Chandler Parsons was a free agent. And so was Chris Bosch. Okay. And they were going to max Chris Bosch out. And then they were going to use, I think, the early bird rights to max Chandler Parsons out on top. Yeah, he was restricted. Right. And so they would have still. I don't think they. I don't know if they were going to dip into the tax. They probably would have dipped into the tax, but it was going to be a large bill. I'm pretty sure that that the roster that year was going to be a very large bill. Chandler Parsons maxing out. Chris Bosch maxing out. Dwight Howard, James Harden. Um, And Les Alexander was on board for that.
2: That That would have been the best for.
0: Yeah, that, right. And, and,
2: that would have been the best for sure, but like, why'd they miss out on well, they it? Like, missed out was on that Boree's fault?
0: No, they missed out on it because because Pat Riley was able to offer a 50 year and the Rockets yep. won. And Chris Bosch yep. took the fifth year and he stayed. And that, that was it. But I think the Rockets were offering. Oh my like, God, like, it was
2: a Jimmy Butler and Sixers situation.
0: Basically, I think the Rockets were offering like four and a hundred, something like that. And Chris Bosch took like five and 120, something like that. Yeah. Um, and so, so I mean that's my point. And, and so, is,
2: is that Leslie Alexander more so than Maury?
0: No, uh, I don't know if the Rockets were unable to offer five years. I, I can't remember. I don't know, like at a granular level. No, lever. That,
2: that, they weren't able to. You're right. It's no, it's that's that's what the bird writes. They're not. They weren't physically able to do that. Yeah, so that's. I mean, that's in the that's
0: so what I'm saying, in the CBA. I mean, If you look at it over the years, he brought T Mac McGrady and Yao Ming together, which is I'm sorry, the T Mac. Uh, Yao Ming and Ron Artest together, which is pretty incredible. He always, in my opinion, it seems like his philosophy always gravitated and rotated around having some type of star, right? He came here came to Houston with Yao and T-Mac through Artest in the mix. When that got done, he got Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin's obviously a low-tier star, but it was still something, and he knew that if he could keep that ship afloat long enough, he'd be able to repackage and repurpose Kevin Martin for something else, and he was able to do that. And then, you know, ever since then, it's just been James Harden, Dwight Howard, chris paul obviously he's been very visible in public about going after jimmy butler um the other pieces anytime there's a big name available the rockets are always interested When daryl morey was their gm so i mean people want to fault him i don't think he's to be faulted and that that was leading You're into my next right. question well so that was leading into my next question um ben can you elaborate more on some of the moves or moves that weren't made that Morey was effectively handicapped from making because of what we suspect to be Tillman's, you know, unwillingness to want to pay extra um, moves like dumping Ryan Anderson, uh, moves like yeah. dumping Brandon Knight, things you know, Iman Shumpert, things of that nature.
1: Yeah. And by the way, I'll start before we even get into the ownership uh, side of this. You know, you mentioned Ryan Anderson, Daryl Morey in his Houston tenure, as good as he was, that guy never had any luck at all. You know, we talk about Chris Paul's hamstring all the time. Well, think how they got no, that. Yeah, no, like, in- think how they got that Ryan Anderson contract in the first place. The one year that the Rockets had cap room to go all out in free agency just so happened to be right after they went forty-one and forty-one. The only non-winning season of the Harden era. It was the last year of Dwight Howard. The chemistry, everything was a little little bit sideways. Kevin McHale got let go. And so because they were 41 and 41, the perception of them at the time was not very good. You know, The Rockets, of course, they tried to get a meeting with Kevin Durant. They tried to meet with Al Horford, all the other big name 2016 free agents. I'm sure Roosh Remember, it's one of the things that Rockets Twitter loves to, you know, poke fun at. It's the time the Rockets had a caravan, including Hakeem Olajuwon and Clyde Drexler for an Kent in-person Baysmore. meeting with Kent Bazemore. Oh yeah, God. like
0: When I saw that, I remember thinking, yeah. again, for the millionth time, if you follow me, you've seen me say, I'm done. When I saw that, I was so embarrassed that we were taking yeah. a friend as his legend. For- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> blew my but- mind. And they brought Drexler.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it was a huge... But like, like That's one, that's not an ownership. That's just bad luck because of all the damn years that you could have max cap room, it would be the one after 41 and 41 because it put the team in the weakest position to sell from. And so that's what sort of led to that Ryan Anderson contract. They had to give the money to somebody. And by the way, let's not make it seem like Ryan Anderson was always bad. That first year, Ryan Anderson was very valuable to them as a floor spacer. Right. Big part of how, how they went 55 and 27, exceeded expectations, got to the second round, and that's what put him in position to lure Chris Paul. So you can't, you know, talk down about Ryan Anderson's contract without saying, "Hey, he did play well in that first year and playing, you know, just as in 2016, you were that bad and that sort of artificially hurt you in free agency." Okay, the next year you're really good and that's what got you Chris Paul. So, you know, with, from Gerald's perspective I, I would say you know undoubtedly the Ryan Anderson contract is the one thing that I think at like a super high level people around the league will say okay that was a big mistake 4 years 80 million and of course great in 2016 all the contracts were inflated because that was the year that the salary cap exploded but even that you know that was largely bad luck just because of the hand that Gerald was dealt was with and what he had to many deal with
2: casualties there. yeah
1: but and they
0: where, were still going to win a title with Ryan yeah. Anderson on the bench. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but oh my God, Ryan Anderson game seven against the Warriors 2018. God, oh man, those minutes that he tried to guard Curry on the switches, those were just absolute killers. Yeah. But you know, where Gerald was really limited was the end of his Rockets tenure. Um, I, and I'm sure there were times earlier that Leslie Alexander sort of did the same things, but we didn't notice it as much because the Rockets weren't truly a contender at the time. The year that things really went sideways for the Rockets was the year after the Western conference finals, 2018, 2019, <clears throat> they didn't spend the mid-level exception in the off season. They brought in for the minimum, James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony. Those didn't work out. They could have resigned Luke Bamute. Didn't. Um, Ennis and Mello did not pan out. And,
2: you know, some I don't of you fault say- him for those moves though. I don't think,
1: no, I don't. No, no. What I'm getting at is what Rouge said about when I he was limited, because basically all he had to offer was the minimum. If they yep. were willing to spend the mid-level exception, they could have gotten better players. There's a reason that James Ennis and Carmelo Anthony were available at the minimum, okay. and then they didn't have a lot of interest. So that's where I'm, you know, that's where I'm going with that is that he was limited by that, and then um, apparently they did not offer. From what we've heard, they did sign Daniel House during the early part of that season. And, you know, he had flashed in December and January. Then the days on his two-way contract were running out. And it was pretty clear at that point that Daniel House could play at the NBA level. According to the reports that I've read, they did not offer him the The mid-level exception during the 2018-2019 season. So they went into into this past offseason with House as a free agent, and they had to use their MLE then to retain him. So I would say a lot of the situations where I think Daryl was really hamstrung, you know, Darush's point about the ownership would be after 2018. In my opinion, some of it's sort of like your best, they didn't win a championship. So saying a championship afterglow is too much, but the franchise was held in a really positive light at the time, based on how close they were to the title. And so I think a lot of people around the Rockets just sort of hoped that, Hey, they were so close and that people liked the team so much that, Hey, if we cut corners here or there, you know, if we get mellowing for the minimum, that
0: that, that was the first indication, right? Was that you have a 65, one team, best, best record in franchise history. And I think we all can agree that they could have won even more than that. Sure. um, Came within a hamstring of the finals and a title. And you let someone as instrumental who played as many minutes and who played as many games and who had as much chemistry with James Harden and PJ Tucker and everyone else and Chris Paul as Trevor Ariza, you let him walk. Now fifteen million is a lot that of money. Geared. Yeah, fifteen million is a lot of money one year for Trevor Reason. It doesn't make sense, but you have to you can't let him walk. And and the Rockets yep. you even, had bird rights. They, you know, exactly. And they and the Rockets were still able to go, you know, six games and push the Warriors without having a three, a small forward. They needed a small forward. Um so yeah, Tony T- being on the screen and wanting to plug I'm and with play you, with man. I think
2: that was I agree. I, I was really disappointed they didn't bring back Ariza at that time but you think about it like Ariza hasn't been shit ever since he left Houston like that contract say if he turned out to be that guy in Houston that contract would have looked like Ryan Anderson maybe they did get lucky but maybe Ariza would have still been motivated you know and been the same Ariza um, in Houston because I'm sure when he left and went to Sacramento he just was collecting checks and was really demotivated where a lot of guys go to burn and it just happens. I mean, I, I get it. That that's going to happen with people. Same with Ryan Anderson. I mean, as soon as his PT goes down, he could be a guy with a big ego. And I mean, he did go through some personal issues. I think around that time that might've depleted. No, that was in new Orleans. Um, so yeah, I don't think that was relevant there, but um, I did like the Ryan Anderson trade. I wanted to mention that, like I liked it at the time. Cause I thought, Marquise Chris was still going to turn out. I was a Marquise Chris apologist, but I'm looking out to be semi-right right now. He's turning out to be pretty damn good in Golden State, but they found a way to um, reinvent him and use him properly. He never got the uh, proper fit and execution in Phoenix, but um, it's just Daniel House is really the only guy that's developed um, outside of like James Harden in Houston. Am I right? Yeah.
1: Well, you're right, okay. but... A reason for that is that they haven't really kept their draft picks. They've been in such a win now mode. I think the last year, the last years they used their first picks were Capella and Sam Decker. So part of it's because in pursuit of just every year, you know, the upgrade, like the Lou Williams type trade, the deadline, or of course, to facilitate Chris Paul, Russell Westbrook, those acquisitions. So it's harder for them than a lot of teams to, um, you know, develop homegrown talent because they just don't have, you know, the assets, the first round picks at all. You got it. uh, To do so. But yeah, I mean, I just think the 2018 year in particular, you know, they had the bird rights to Ariza. Mm -hmm. They had an option to offer more. I can't remember the particulars, but to Luke Bob Mute, they chose not to. And then the guys that they tried, James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Carter Williams, that tier one during the summer, none of those guys really worked out. House did work out, but then at that point, they couldn't get the deal done, a long-term deal to keep him there. So they had to spend the next year's, this past year's uh, MLE to keep him. That was a year in which, and I think, you know, they're probably right. At the time, a lot of people around the Rockets, especially in the media, you know, try to give them the benefit of the doubt because they were so close the year before and you still had James Harden, Chris Paul, and there was sort of this feeling that, okay, you get back to the playoffs and maybe they'll get back to the way they were a year ago. But now that we're two years later, and you see the you know, the slight decline, that's the year where you can say, okay, the talent base really eroded. You didn't bring back Ariza and Bamute. The guys you thought could replace their production didn't pan out as you liked. Daniel House, they were able to keep it, but they had to use an next year's MLE, which meant they couldn't bring in any other upgrade um, with that money. And uh, the bottom line is that while money isn't the only factor in those decisions, it was pretty clearly a, a big one. It was definitely among those yeah. that led to that. And so I would say, <clears throat> to go back to Roosh's original point, the 2018-2019 season in particular is one in which I think Gerald Morey, my guess is that he has guys that are not James Ennis or Carmelo Anthony if you know, if he's truly able to spend to the fullest extent allowed Fair. by the Rockets under the CBA.
0: I mean, look, so first of all, everyone always says, oh, Ariza sucked you know, when he left. And that's true, but... I wanted to address that because he's a role player, right? If you take Rondo, current day Rondo, and you stick him on like the Hornets, he's worthless. But if you take current day Rondo and you put him in the right role next to the right players, he can make, you know, winning plays. And he did, oh, for right? Sure. So, I mean, like, that's how I view Ariza. And he was also perfect for the system, just, you know, strict three and D, didn't have to do anything else. All he had to do was just be the vet. The team had their infrastructure. I don't know. I, I, I will die on the hill that if Trevor Ariza comes back, Here's, here's the reverse. They beat those here's, Warriors when J.D. goes down.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I'm with you 100%. So the reverse of that is Ben McLemore didn't turn out to be nothing in Sacramento. He comes to Houston. He's got an amazing playmaker and a guy who raises him up as James Harden does, puts him in the situation he needed to be, lets him, gives him the ultimate green light, and Ben McLemore becomes who we thought he was going to be coming out of college. So, yep. there, yeah, there's two, there's two sides of it for
0: sure. Yep. One well, thing to mention. Let me ask
2: you this,
0: Ben. Uh, I, I just want to I want to get the season because it, it's relevant and it's in the same time frame that we're talking about. Um, as much as I do, you know, have pretty much mostly praise for Daryl Morey, I do want to highlight a couple of things he did poorly, which is connected to this time frame. He had some, some good young talent. To your point, Zach, that there was no homegrown development. Dylan Brooks was drafted before that seventeen eighteen season, and they flipped him to Memphis for a second round pick that they used to then draft the Anthony Melton, who they had to the,
2: the Anthony the, Melton. Yeah, who they had to or get rid of, Brian Anderson,
0: as well. yeah. right? Who, who they had to get rid of as well. So is that which parts of those are Maury's oversight, right? Uh, probably Dylan Brooks, because Tillman was new at that time. That was probably a Maury move. Um, De'Anthony Milton, though, I think was largely, you know, whatever propelled or incentivized by Tillman, um, you know, wanting to shred, shed money. So there's also those those decisions, right? Like guys like that could have helped tremendously. For the 2018 and 19 team, you know, two years of Dylan Brooks developing would have been maybe the perfect three to kind of fit alongside those guys. Um, So that's also worth mentioning. But what were you going to say, Zach? You wanted to ask them?
2: I mean, it makes sense. And what everybody thought that Tillman's cheap and he's handicapped Daryl over all these years. And that's kind of what held the Rockets back a little bit outside of injuries and some bad luck here and there. But um, and never really getting the talent as the Chris Bosh is striking out on some of those guys um, definitely played a major factor as well. But um, not being able to spend all the money, like the MLE and all these marginal guys that would have made the big difference here. Do you think that's ultimately why Daryl Morey ended up out of here?
1: Um, maybe a little bit, but I think that angle is somewhat overblown and that, you know, it's I've seen some on Twitter Making it out to be a rebellion against Tillman for Tita. I mean, if Tillman was willing to spend to the fullest extent, would that help? Probably. But at the same time, the amount of owners around the league that are willing to go all in, it's pretty small. To me, the biggest factor is just the ages of the star players on the Rockets and the ages of the star players on the Sixers. You know, it's a situation in which Harden's 31, Russ is going to turn 32 in a couple of weeks. Whereas Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid are 24 and 26. Now, are they as dominant as Harden and Westbrook? No, of course not. But it's an easier base to build from. And so, you know, I just think there's pretty clearly an appeal to Philly for Daryl Morey. One of the interesting things back in 2018, the offseason after the Western Conference Finals, There were some reports that he almost went to Philly then, so that should tell you that he really likes it. He's an East Coast guy. He probably really likes, in particular, uh, Embiid and Simmons would be my guess if he was that intrigued, even with the loaded roster of 2018 coming off what should have been a championship. To me, that's the bigger factor. It's just the Rockets, we know, maybe they have one or two more runs in them but the window is closing for this team and in in the case of Gerald personally like his youngest kid just graduated high school so he's got nothing tying him down to houston anymore could he have made it a year or two and would he have stuck around a year or two extra if tillman was willing to truly go all in Maybe, but ultimately, you know, my feeling is that whether it be 2020, 2021, 2022, Gerald was not going to be a Houston lifer. Once his kids graduated, he wanted to move back to the East Coast. And it just became, you know, honestly, what was his best landing spot? And I think the Sixers in 2020, it's a job in which the owners are clearly willing Fair. to spend. It's evidenced by bringing in Doc Rivers. They've got two stars in their mid-20s and Embiid and Simmons. They're flawed, but they are all-stars for a reason. And so I, I just think, you know, the Tolman factor, did it push a little bit? Maybe. It, you know, I'm not going to say it didn't, but I just think the biggest thing, honestly, the Rockets are just sort of approaching the end of an era. And so it's one of those things, unless Gerald wanted to be a Houston lifer, i.e. do another, you know, 15 right. years, another cycle, whatever comes next for the Rockets after James Harden. I think whether it be this year or next couple, he was gonna go somewhere, and the Sixers job just happens to be, you know, objectively speaking, it's a pretty good landing spot if you're looking at jobs on the East Coast right now.
2: Even after even after uh, Daryl, they broke up, you can say Tillman said, uh, if Daryl ends up somewhere, it's gonna be on the East Coast. He's an East Coast guy, and it's crazy how many similarities. It's literally the same job just on the East Coast. It is. He's always doing is chasing championships and. Just going to be making transactions right away to get win a championship. It, it's just a much deeper, more talented team all the way around, um, and he's got more. I mean, it's a it's a challenge at some stakes, but it's it seems like the exact same job just on the East Coast. Um, before we get into anything else, I I need to ask you guys though. We all agree though, firing MDA though was the right move, right?
0: Hiring or firing. Firing. Well, he. And or was
2: technically,
1: he walked away. Now mm-hmm. you can. Mm-hmm. You can debate over exactly how much was mutual, but technically, I think it's
2: pretty mutual.
1: Yeah, I mean, you could you could certainly argue that. Yeah, in my opinion, that it, was the.
2: MDA has been washed since 2018 after that final (laughs) well, Well, you know, I just think... After Chris Paul went down, Mike D'Antoni went to retirement.
1: They just, you know, they had to change something. I mean, you know, you could argue 2019 that, you know, Chris Paul wasn't himself. And now, you know, you brought in Russell Westbrook. But it's just pretty clear. The last two years, they're kind of banging their head against a wall. They don't have that extra Mm -hmm. gear. And so I don't know if Steven Silas... It's going to find it for them, but it just felt like the era with Mike D'Antoni had run its course. Like they just were not going to get over the hump. And because they're, you know, well above the salary cap, they don't have a ton of trade assets because yeah. it's an older team, you had to try something different. It just felt like the Rockets with Dantoni were banging their heads against a wall. And it's just like you know, to kind of put a bow on the Gerald Morey discussion, you know, the two words I think of with Gerald Creativity and guts. And, you know, they had tried so hard. They were the one team that even in this era of super teams, all the variations of LeBron and Miami, Cleveland, now LA, the Golden State Warriors, Gerald Murray kept pushing. You know, he's got those guts. He's creative. You know, he constantly churns through the role players. Zach, you mentioned Ben McLemore, that's a great find. Gerald Green is another one that I would throw in there. Rockets signed him midway through the 2017, 2018 season when he was basically playing one-on-one with his dog. That's the joke. And he's had these videos on Instagram of himself doing that. <laughs> you know, there, There's so much creativity, there's so much heart, there's so much guts to the Gerald Morey tenure. But at the same time, like it just felt like, especially with Harden now, 31 years old, it had done, there have been so many good things that have happened, but they had not won a title how did they get to that next level with Harden at 31? There's no real reason to believe that magically they're going to get a lot better. And it's not like Maury has any real assets anymore. Gave up most of the assets in the Westbrook deal. So they don't have any first round picks in the future to trade. It just felt like regardless whether Daryl's there or not, so that means- Daryl had done, to sum up, Daryl had done everything that he could reasonably do and it just wasn't working out. So in my opinion, it's not D'Antoni's fault, but they needed a change to see if maybe right. someone else could spark it something was. different.
2: Yeah, a, there, so, that's fair. I think there's a lot of blame there.
1: You just heard Noble and Roosh speaking to Ben DeBose of RocketsWire and USA Today about Daryl Morey's tenure with the Houston Rockets. Stay tuned as they continue to break down the Morey run in Houston, the Russ and CP3 trade, and so much more only on the Noble and Roosh show. Brought to you by BallIsLife.com
2: Dash Radio. So Roosh, my question for you then. Russell Westbrook trade, even though they gave up a little too much, to agree on, they didn't need to give up all those picks, the trade needed to happen, correct?
1: No. No. <laughs> no. I, a, I knew you'd say that. They did were you, beefing.
2: Chris Paul and James Harden. If they're if they're beefing. If they're beefing, it's not going to work out anyways. And Russell Westbrook is younger. Chris Paul is more injured. It was a smart deal before it happened and before the quarantine. They were looking damn good. Westbrook was playing the best basketball of his career. Come on, there's no way of denying it wasn't the right trade.
0: Well, look, okay, okay, okay. Well, let me let me put a bow on my thoughts on just because more- it didn't
2: work out year one.
0: Let me put a bow on my thoughts on Maury leaving, and then we can shift right into that because I have many thoughts on that, as you probably both know. But, look, I think everything Ben is saying about Daryl leaving is right, and that's kind of the essence of it is he, he looked at what was in front of him and realized there's nothing more that he could do. And I think what I wanted to mention that goes into that is James Harden was Daryl Morey's prized possession, right? It cemented his legacy as like, hey, this guy's for real, one of the best GMs in the league. Um, He loves James Harden. James Harden was his greatest asset, greatest coup he ever made, greatest thing he did. And so for Daryl Morey to voluntarily walk away from James Harden, he really, really had to look at what was in front of him and realize it's over. There's no way, there's nothing I can do, to Ben's point. But I think that's like the underlying kind of backbreaker that, that went into it, you know, for me at least, is he loves James Harden. He would never leave James Harden. He believes in James Harden sure? to the maximum extent, to the fullest. But he realized I have to leave the situation, and so that was the biggest red flag about Daryl leaving, and then going to Philadelphia. If he had just left, I could see other factors coming into it. One of the major factors that goes into it, which Red ninety four tweeted about, is uh, he had a good, t- a great tweet. I can't think of it exactly, but he basically said, you know, your boss publicly condemns you, um, forces you to trade. Chris Paul, who Daryl also loved, the fact that Daryl was able to get James Harden and Chris Paul on the same team was probably made probably made him so happy inside. Like he basketball wise, just purely speaking in terms of basketball, he loves both of those guys. So to trade one of them so briefly after acquiring him had to kill him, and the fact that Tillman pushed that through, at least to some degree, had to kill him. So all of those things go into it, in my opinion. Um, and then yeah, like Ben said, he reaches that final conclusion where he he kind of looks at everything and says, you know what, there is nothing I can do. It's over. The run's over. Um, and so he had to move on. Now, Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook, did it have to happen? No. If your reasoning for it having to happen is that they were beefing, I, that's valid. Okay, one second. That's valid to, to some degree, but winning cures everything. Um, Chris revamped his entire regimen the next season in a way that I bet Harden would have latched on to. And there was a point, man, I mean, I watched every single game that those guys played together. They were having so much fun in that first season. Ben, you probably remember when they, like, jumped yep. and checked hips mid-court yep. after, like, I think it was the, the New Orleans game when CP brought him back or something.
1: Yeah, there's um, an iconic photo of that, by the way.
0: Yeah, it was my phone. It was my iPhone screen for a long time. So those guys worked together. And they at the end of the day, they both loved basketball in different ways. Um, if they had beefed, who knows, you know, how that affects things, but did that trade need to happen? I don't think so. I don't think so. Whatsoever. I'm I'm so not-
1: my, my view on it, Roosh, I still, I don't think that it had to happen. I do agree with you that it wasn't so much about the beefing to me, what drove that trade. And I think it was more James Harden than Tillman Fertitta. You know, I think it's one of those things that everyone wants to pile on tillman because for understandable reasons he's you know you look at the rockets and the big names yeah harden daryl morey tillman fertita fertita is going to be the guy that that people prefer, you know for the sake of the narrative to be the bad guy in this case you know the reason why you know i'm with roosh and that a year later clearly it looks like a mistake even just one-to-one harden versus or, or not harden um chris paul versus westbrook and that's before we go into all the future draft picks and capital that they gave up but at the same time even though it looks like a mistake now i still understand what the thought process was at the time it was less about the beefing and it was more about the durability two years in a row in which chris paul missed 25 games or more in the regular season Mm -hmm. they should have had a championship that first year the hamstring Went out. Then, even in the 2019 playoffs, he did not have that extra gear. You know, I've talked about this with Rouge before. The defining image to me, and where I think sort of the partnership, or maybe Harden stopped viewing it as a partnership, it was game three of the series against the Warriors in 2019. Rockets eventually lost it in six games, but it was game three. The Rockets were down 2 0. If they had lost that game, it would have been uh, a sweep. Let's be honest about it. And it was towards the end of regulation. Harden had a big game. Chris Paul waited for the last shot. It was tied in the final seconds. Chris Paul kind of waved off Harden, said, I'm going to go with this. And he couldn't even get up a shot. Clay Thompson tied him up because he could not generate separation. and That was sort yeah. of the thing. Even when Chris did play, he clearly was not 100%. Now, maybe that plant-based diet has changed things since then. But uh, in overtime of that game three, Harden basically said, I'm taking this over. He ended up hitting a ton of dagger shots. They won game three, they won game four, and that's what ultimately gave him a chance in that series, even though they lost. And so I, you know, I just think it came down to, especially in the playoffs, two years in a row where it just felt like Chris Paul physically was not able to give them what the Rockets expected. And I think at that point, Chris, uh, or James Harden, excuse me, there was just a trust factor that wasn't there anymore. And here's Russell Westbrook, who because of the Paul George trade, unexpectedly becomes available. And Westbrook is Mr. Durability over his career for the most part. Now he's had the knee scopes and stuff in the off season, but he has not missed many games in the regular season at all. Here's Westbrook, generally much more durable than Chris Paul. He's good buddies with James Harden. And I think James just looked at that and said, hey, let's make this happen. This is an opportunity. And then as fate would have it, of course, we see him in the playoffs. The Rockets did win the series, thank goodness. But even though the Rockets won the series, Chris Paul was healthy. Russell Westbrook was not. Russell Westbrook missed over half the series, Rockets Thunder. And when he did play, he was clearly not himself. He he was clearly limited. And so that's just sort of the cherry on top when we talk about the bad luck of the Daryl Morey era Rockets. You know they largely made this Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook trade based on durability, and then the very next year, Chris Paul plays Russell Westbrook in the playoffs, and Chris Paul is healthy, and Russell Westbrook is not. It's the exact opposite of the reason why they did the trade. So I agree with Roosh 100% that you know in hindsight you know, you can absolutely second guess that trade. At the moment, it does not look good for the Rockets at all. The only thing I will say is that I understand what the Rockets and what I think especially James Harden was thinking at the time. I think he was very frustrated with Chris Paul's lack of durability. And, you know, as fate would have it, the very next year it completely flips. And, you know, hindsight being what it is, was it a mistake? Probably. But at the same time I also understand kind of the frustration that I think James was feeling, you know, after another after another playoff run and that Chris Paul was not hundred percent
0: so i will say this and this and this transitions to the next topic that we, that we need to cover regarding the rackets uh just to be clear zach asked me if, it, if the trade needed to happen the trade did not need to happen
2: okay. um,
0: i'm still okay I, I still think and and ben's point is valid um the health issues and i think that that's eventually how i rationalized it myself if you want to dig up my old tweets and expose me or whatever i think that's how i rationalized it is look well. CP three is playing 58, 60 games a season. Yeah. You never know when the hand is going to pop, pop frequently in the playoffs. So I get it. Um, Not to that point, did it need to happen? No. Was it a mistake? I, I still think the jury's is out. Um, I still honestly, as, as down as I am on the Rockets, I do think they're a piece or two. Away. Yeah, there you go. I do think they're a piece or two away. I just don't think they can get that piece. I mean, there's still a really good basketball team. Oh, you yeah. have James Harden and Russell Westbrook, who, if he's healthy, is still electric. Um, and Robert Covington was pretty. I mean, I thought he was tremendous in the playoffs. Uh, he was great against Oklahoma City after the first couple games. You know, PJ Tucker is still there. If they if they have to dangle him for a trade, to be determined. I'm not high on Eric Gordon, and I'd like to flip him for something. You know, and if Daniel House if Daniel House comes back, I still I still think there's a good core intact, and, and you know, yeah. Maybe Maybe no, a Christian Wood with the MLE and then you yeah. trade Gordon for something, or you flip Gordon or something.
1: Let me throw a parallel at you. I want to see if you agree. Now, the age of the <laughs> team is much different now. But we talked about, you know, the Chris Bosch offseason that almost was in 2014. I feel a little bit going into the 2020 21 season, it feels a little bit like in hindsight what that 2014-2015 Rockets season, when they unexpectedly went to the Western Conference Finals, it sort of feels like that same vibe, and that after they didn't get Chris Bosh, and they didn't match on Parsons, because at that point it didn't make sense to sort of lock themselves in, people counted them out. But they had good chemistry, they had a team that, you know, the key parts were familiar with one another, even though Ariza was a newcomer, he had already been there before, and they just sort of gelled from the outset. And that group I thought just sort of fed off the idea that they were counted out. And there were a lot of proud veterans in there. And they just sort of again, I think they took some fuel for the narrative that they were just perceived as an also ran after, you know, the year before they went out disappointing exit to the Blazers in the playoffs. And I could see the same sort of thing now. You know, nobody's expecting anything of the Rockets. You know, I guess there's some intrigue because there's a new coach in Steven Silas. Maybe he can do some things that Mike D'Antoni didn't. But I also, you know, I could see the veterans, Harden, Westbrook, and people are forgetting, you know, as down as people are on Westbrook now after the playoff run, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he hurt the quad. He also had COVID, which didn't give him his full training going in. Russell Westbrook in January and February was really, really good. They had found a way to get the best out of Russell before... You know his issues with again covid the knee uh, or or the quad excuse me everything that happened in the playoffs and so i could see a scenario where the rockets next year are undervalued that there's a lot of chemistry there's a lot of continuity sort of similar to that 2014 team that overachieved expectations however to roosh's point even though that 2014 2015 team And, of course, that was one that had the miraculous comeback against the Clippers in the playoffs from down 3-1 and from down 19 in the second half in game six. Even though that Rockets team, you know, they were number two seed in the West. They got to the Western Conference Finals. We all sort of knew there was a ceiling. Barring a miracle, that team just did not have enough talent to beat the Warriors in the Western Conference Finals. And that's sort of what it feels like now. And to Roosh's point, I just don't know how they get that extra piece. Now, you know, they are willing to spend their mid-level exception. We'll see what they can do if they make Eric Gordon or other guys available. Raphael Stone, I've heard good things. The new GM, you know, he's been an apprentice to Mori for a number of years. So hopefully he knows what he's doing. But I'm sort of with Roosh in that I think a lot of people on the NBA they are underrating just how high Houston's floor is assuming health. I'm saying floor because I just feel like there's a lot of proud guys in that locker room. If they're healthy and they can get Russell Westbrook back to the way he was, you know, before the COVID hiatus, before the injuries, all that stuff, there's a pretty high floor for that team that's going to make them better in my opinion than a lot of the current narrative would have you believe. With that said, to Roush's point where I agree with him, There's still a separation between that and the true top tier, you know, the Lakers, Bucks, those types of teams. And I don't know where they get that piece. They're certainly going to try and we'll see what Raphael Stone has up his sleeve. But, yeah, generally speaking, I think people are underrating the Rockets going into this season. But at the same time, I think Roosh is right that, you know, there's still something separating them from a talent perspective from the very top tier. And it's going to be pretty tough for them to get that piece, given how capped out they are.
0: So big thing about that 14-15 offseason is they got Trevor Ariza, yeah. um, and which speaks to the importance of how important a role player that correctly fits your team is. If they can get something like that, now I mean, they already have guys like that, so maybe this team doesn't need that, but the equivalent type of- I know like, what you're saying, yeah. You're plugging in the right pieces. Um, the other thing that scares me is that this team is old. That team was young. and I don't know if they were young, but James Harden was young, and James Harden was yeah. older. This team is old. And they have, you know, typically... Team the team ain't old. Old in
2: Hold on. Hold on. 20, 20 is
0: 35 plus. Come on now. P- P- J- No, listen, hear me out. PJ Tucker's 35, Harden's 31, Russell's 32, I think Gordon is 32.
2: PJ um, Tucker's the only old guy. Well, no,
0: However... Yeah. yeah. However, the one thing I
1: will point out, Roosh, just to interject real quick, that 2014 team—they may have been younger—they did not have good luck with health at all. Oh, Dwight bro, Howard missed bro. half the season with an injury. Terrence Jones had some issues. So did Pat Beverly. They Ryan were relying on Jason Terry, Pablo Prigioni. The the point is, James Harden carried them. He willed them. And part of it—it it was a year that James Harden played with a purpose. Now, James Harden is 31 now. You're right about that, but. I have not seen these slippers yet it's a year sure. where i could sort of see the james harden revenge re- redemption tour that's what happened back then and i think that's the formula now
0: so that team was also playing hostess pop and nicole out pretty regularly in the, in the regular <laughs> season and i think they even played J- uh, joey dorsey so yeah completely point. Nasty. Now, nasty now now uh james harden revenge revenge mode whatever oh, the point i was going to make hold on about them being old is usually they're done in may and then they start back up in october so that's five months right this time they're done in September, and the rumors are that they're going to start around Christmas. That's three months. That wear and tear does take its toll. But um, I don't think we should look out more. So, if we're going with the theme of you know the Rockets are going to be counted out, which I think they will be. I don't think they're they have a strong argument to be any better than fifth, um, and they could no. be as 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 bad as seventh or eighth if things go bad if they get hurt. But I'm just saying. But but Russell Westbrook has that type of mentality. Russell Westbrook will say, okay they're counting us out. Let's go tear their heads off. And I do, I do have some faith in that. And I do have some faith in that mentality in him enhancing Harden. Now we've gone almost an hour, I think without even 53 minutes without mentioning Stephen Silas. Um, and I was going to say that look.
2: All right. Cause I want to finish up with Stephen Silas. So yes, Russell Westbrook trade. I think uh, sure. Winning cures all, but they didn't win to the point where winning cures it. They didn't win a championship. Shaq and Kobe, they were winning titles. That was one of beef that was able to cure. That's when LeBron and Kyrie, they won. So that's winning where winning cures all. I don't think they were to that point. They went younger with Russell Westbrook. That raises their floor, I think. Um, Definitely there's a ceiling to it. There's still a ceiling to it. Regardless. I don't think the result would have been much different this year with Chris Paul or with Russell Westbrook. I truly don't. I also think if it was a normal year and not a COVID year where we didn't have that long break, Chris Paul would have probably broken down. So people aren't thinking about that, where he would have been able to rest his braggy ass bones, and um, he would have been a different Chris Paul in my estimation. But I didn't like, from the beginning, all the picks they gave up, but they probably had to do it. They're all Sam Presty. Wasn't going to get what he wanted. So, Daryl Morey wanted to go out with a bang, burn the thing to the ground, and it is what it is. Uh, I did want to ask you guys uh, to wrap up all of Daryl Morey's tenure. The last big trade he made um, – yeah, the last big trade he made was Clint Capella for Covington. I actually called this trade the summer going into this season. I wanted it from that point uh, just because I thought – Capella was their one piece that could bring them back a lot of value and raise their ceiling, which I personally think it did when they made the trade. Did you guys like that trade when it happened? And where did you guys finish with it right now?
1: Yeah, I'll go first. I, I liked it when it happened. I still like it. I think they had sort of hit their ceiling with Capella. And I think especially after the playoff runs, when we saw how limited he was against the Warriors, it, it was sort of a reminder that, he's more a regular season piece and truth be told in their system, you know, there are guys that can give you 75, 80% of what he gives you in terms of a rim runner, a rebounder, a pick and roll guy that, you know, you can get for a much lower cost and they can give you a lot of that production. And part of it, I was disappointed that they didn't try and do that. You know, we've heard that maybe that's something they'll try and do this off season, but, you know, could you have gotten a nerlands Noel type a DeAndre Jordan, someone who could do a lot of those same things, but Dollar without the same two. asset cost in terms of money or what he gives to your roster. Yeah, to me, I just think they had done everything they could reasonably do with uh, with Clint Capella. And obviously you're not going to trade you know, the two centerpieces now, Harden and Westbrook. So uh, to me, it's one of those things. It's the theme that goes perfectly into Steven Silas. Uh, you need to try something different. One last point I want to get to uh, to push back a little bit on Roosh. He's right as far as the lengthy offseason. However, I would point out that normally you need a long offseason because these guys are coming in playing nine straight months of NBA basketball by the time you factor in the regular season and then solid, you know, training camp and then the playoffs for a lot of these teams. Most of these guys, until they went to the bubble in mid-July, they were not working out, especially not at an NBA level from mid-March until mid-July. I mean, they were doing things to stay in shape, but they were not playing NBA basketball at that level. So while the offseason is shorter, it's worth pointing out that they go into it, you know, most of them anywhere between like six to 10 weeks of of intense activity as opposed to the usual six or seven months. So maybe that makes it easier for an old team. We'll have to wait and see. But yeah, Capella, Covington, you know, I just felt like they had maxed out with Capella. Covington's versatile. He helps you not just offensively with his shooting, his floor spacing, defensively. You know, what's funny about Covington, he wasn't the perimeter defender I thought he'd be, but he was a lot better at the rim. So instinctive, much better shot blocker than I thought. Ooh. Yeah, I, I'm on board with that. I just think they need to try and fill that Capella role with a nerland's Noel type that can give you, you know, 75, 80 percent of what uh, Capella historically did
0: so i like i like the trade i mean i love Clint Capella, but basically to ben's point i think you can find someone on a bargain deal we can give you enough of what he does um whereas on the flip side of that it's really hard to find a guy like robert covington that can play a, you know that can be a three and d wing that can also hybrid as like a stretch four can occasionally spot as a five kind of um the the three effectively man i mean he had some very big games in the postseason he had some very big moments in the postseason uh, I think he shot fifty percent from three in his playoff t- in the playoff run this this uh, this time around. I could be wrong about that, but I'm looking at it right now. Let me see if I can get the figure. Yeah, I think he was. Rocco two, did. Yeah, he
2: shot yeah, 24 percent before that.
0: Yeah, so you know, I mean, I think that's just huge, especially to the bigger picture of what the Rockets want to do. And like we've spoken about, you can go find a big right. Uh, there have been some talks about, and they're not really talks. Sorry, they're just Twitter. You know fantasy trades, but Eric Gordon and Al Horford. There are some deals that can be made centered around those guys, and now Daryl Morey's in Philadelphia, so you never know. I mean, it's not that out of the realm of possibility. And Horford, for all the talk of you know people speculating on Morey wanting to trade Ben Simmons, I think Al Horford or Tobias Harris are the guys that are, are going to yeah. be shipped out of Philly. So I
1: agree.
0: You know, so you could do something like that. Maybe you get lucky. And you can land a Christian Wood with the MLE. I don't know, but I think you can. Or I mean, Nolan's Noel is a guy that I have been touting for a while because he is pretty much Diet Clint Capella, and that's really all you need. And he's very cheap, you know, two million a year, two, two, two million change, whatever. So I like the trade. Um, I miss Clint Capella, but I think the Rockets definitely made themselves better when they did it. Um, you know, had they not traded Clint Capella, they might have lost to the Thunder, honestly. Uh, after having after I went back and wa- rewatched those games when I was preparing for the Thunder series, I went back and rewatched those games. Um, and they looked so bad with Clint Capella. The, the spacing was awful. And defensively, all of the Thunder's guards were able to, you know, isolate on Clint Capella and then pretty much just exploit what he what he does. Um, but that being said, you know, Covington's actually been kind of poor on the perimeter, kind of slow-footed. Yeah. So, you know,
2: we'll see. All in
0: all, though, I like the
2: trip, But Very good. So let's finish up with this. You guys – we're worried for days coming down to the end. Um, I think there's still one one more opening out there. So who needs a head coach yet? I think there's one other team. Okay, see. Okay, see. I don't think Houston's dead last, but oh, there we go. Okay, so we're second to last, and everybody's worried about it. I think they came out all right here. I think Tillman made a pretty good call, and I think if they can load up this bench with Nate McMillan and then James Harden's guy, John Lucas, I think they could make out the best coaching staff that James Harden's ever had. Call me a hot take there, but this could be the best coaching staff James Harden's ever had.
1: Yeah, I just think this had to be an upside hire, and that's what Steven Silas is. You know, they looked into guys like Jeff Van Gundy, like John Lucas, but this is not really a job for a retread that has a ceiling. You know, we talked about the reasons that that Daryl Morey left part of it is because you know it's tough to see on paper how this team takes the next step and one of the only ways that maybe they can is if you get a true upper echelon coach you get the next you know Eric Spolstra, Quinn Snyder, someone like that that just every year you feel like gives you this big tactical advantage that's one of those things that's hard to find and so you know you might if you're the Clippers for example You know, that's one where I think Ty Lue makes a lot of sense because, like, Ty Lue has a super high floor. You know Ty Lue is not going to be a bad coach. And the Clippers, with that talent base, is so good. What you're trying to do is basically try and make sure that there's not some meltdown the way things went south against the Nuggets in the second round this year. With the Rockets, they're in a different spot. Their talent is not as overwhelming. Their advantage, the Clippers, we talked about their age, all the limitations, all the reasons that Daryl left. It's an upside hire, guys. To me, that's what they have to have. You know, if you want this team to contend for a championship somehow, one of the only margins they can potentially hit is, do you have not just a B-level coach, a pretty good one, can you get like an A-level coaching staff, like one of the top ones in the game that can bring out something in that roster that Mike D'Antoni couldn't? I'm not saying that Steven Silas is for sure going to do that. But what I can tell you is that on paper of their finalists, he is the guy that has the greatest uh, potential to do that. Now, whether he you know realizes that, that remains to be seen. But this is one where, given where they're at, they had to gamble on upside. And then the last part, because of his age, because he's only 47 years old, if it doesn't work out with Harden and Westbrook, then he's young enough to where he could also be a part if he pans out of your next generation as well and starting to develop you know, your rebuild, whatever it is, after the Harden era. Whereas Jeff Van Gundy, John Lucas, someone like that, you know, those are not guys are going to be there for 10, 15 years. You'd be doing the whole damn thing over again once the Harden era ends. So I just think on a lot of levels, Steven Silas checks the most boxes. Will he work out? I don't know if he will for sure, but I I agree that it makes the most sense.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I am partial to Jeff Van Gundy just because I think he's, I mean, I just like the guy. So, um, the main reason that I. I'm on, I'm on two sides of the fence, right? If you follow me on Twitter, you'll see me argue that, you know, I, I'm, I'm really strongly adhered to the thinking that a young, new, talented coach that people are not yet aware of, that is not yet on, like, the radar, um, typically kind of works. Not not that it typically works, but it's, it's, it's this weird thing where you find that, you know, diamond in the rough, and it turns out, wow, that guy's a great coach. Uh, Steve Kerr was a first-time coach, won a title. He, inher- he inherited a great team, but still worked wonders and has won titles. Ty Lue. Same position. I mean, he inherited LeBron James, but he still was able to make the right moves to win the title. Nick Nurse wins a title and has proven to be a great coach even after the fact. Um, So, in that respect, I think Steven Silas has potential to be like the next line of one of those guys. And I'm really excited about it. I wanted Jeff Van Gundy more because I know with Jeff Van Gundy, we're going to get a top 10 defense. He's never been the head coach of a team that had a, a defense with lower than sixth in defensive rating. Obviously, he has offensive problems, but I'm willing to defer to Harden and Westbrook to be able to figure that out to be good enough um, to where the defense would carry them. And and Harden has been on three teams that have finished top 10 defensively. Um, Oklahoma City, when they went to the finals, they were ninth. The Rockets, when they went to the Western Conference Finals in 14-15, they were seventh. And then the Rockets, when they went to the Western Conference Finals in 17-18, were also seventh. So I think the theme is, look, you give James Harden a top 10 defense, he's going to get you to the Western Conference Finals you might get to the finals. And that was my line of thinking. Now, to Ben's point, I don't think Jeff Van Gundy makes sense, especially with Daryl Morey gone, because now that Daryl Morey's gone, I personally am anticipating Harden's departure, unfortunately, sooner than later, even if it's not this season, probably the season afterwards, you know, you might, we might start hearing trade demands and stuff like that. And so does it make sense to go with a guy like Jeff Van Gundy? No, because Jeff Van Gundy's not sticking around for the rebuild. And like Ben said. You're back, as, you know, you're back in square one and you're on the on the search again and maybe Steven Silas is gone at that point. Who knows? So I think Steven Silas is the right hire. One of the things I was going to say when I was mentioning that the Rockets just don't, like I think they're a piece or two away, but they don't have the assets to net those pieces is, to Ben's point, one move you can make is hiring the right coach, right? Uh, Mike D'Antoni had a great base philosophy. I think he was incapable of tweaking that philosophy to get it. To where he needed to be in spot moments and situations and circumstances. He just didn't make the adjustments. And I think James Harden needs the adjustments. I don't know if Steven Silas is a tactician, but all the reports about people that have worked with him seem to, to suggest that he is. Watching the versatility and just the creative the creativity in the offense in Dallas um, also seems to speak to that. You know, Dallas hunted three point shots kind of the same way the Rockets did. Well, it, Theoretically, the same way the Rockets did, but in practice, they created those shots and opened that space in different ways. So I'm excited to see that a lot of off-ball off things. Ben, to your point, this could be great for Ben McLemore, right? Because Steven Silas uh, had a great season with Steph Curry, a guy that can move off the ball, catch, shoot. So hopefully, we can see those those types of things, and the Rockets get new light in that regard, and it trickles down, and it's just you know, and maybe we unlock Russ to it to a further degree. Maybe Stephen Silas can be the Russ whisperer and get him just shoot a little bit better. I don't know. So all those things are on the table, um, and for that reason, I think it's the right hire. And then also the the assistants. I think Nate McMillan is would be an incredible hire as an assistant. I think he's someone that I could see getting through to the team and getting them to play defense at the level that we all need. I'm not so high on Jeff Hornacek. I don't really, uh, I don't really know how I feel about Jeff Hornacek, but yeah, I think Stephen Silas and Nate McMillan together with John Lucas as like a you know a secondary assistant, I think has potential to be an elite coaching staff in the league, um, and I think that's reason for. You know for optimism i don't think harden was going to mesh with with jeff van gundy and so i just don't think really like in practice i do not think that would have worked out it remains to be seen if Stephen silas can connect with russ and harden but he's got a good track record lebron steph curry um kimball walker and charlotte luca i mean that's the, day. that's the thing i'm most excited about is he turned i don't want to say he turned luca into luca but he has experience dealing with luca Doncic. <laughs> in an offense that's very similar to what the, you know, not similar to what the Rockets did, but again, theoretically. And Luka is very similar to James Harden. Yeah. So I'm excited about that, you know? So we'll see. Um, one thing that also worries me... At the other day... The, I will say one thing that also worries me is that the Mavericks... Um, I could be wrong here, but I think their offense started crumbling late in games. I think they were kind of known for that throughout the season. Um, maybe I'm wrong, so I'm sorry if that's the case. But I think they crumbled and, like, you know, folded in late-minute games, and I think their offense... Yeah was poor. Uh, they were bad clutch. poor execution in the clutch. So um, that's a story. That's a movie I've seen way too many times. And that's one thing that worries me. I don't know how much of that is on Steve, uh, Steven Silas, you know, but hopefully like we're banking on him being the kind of guy that's willing to adjust. You know, I, I made a video the other day. He's young. So hopefully he's more open and not like stuck in his ways and he's still mm-hmm. fluid, you know? So those are all factors that will, that will play in. But that's just, like the only downsides I can think to the hire, aside from the fact that he's a first year, you know first-time head coach, therefore it inherently could just not work out and go wrong. Other than that, you know it's, it's pretty much what I just said. Like, it, will his offense have the same issues that we saw with D'Antoni down the stretch? Is it the same? Not gimmicky because I don't think the Rockets were gimmicky, but is it you know just like a base philosophy without actual wrinkles when you need those wrinkles to uh, to develop? I have no idea. So we'll see. But I like the hire. <laughs> what do you think? Yeah, sir? I don't think you can as ever I'm
2: blame cl- clutch situations. I, say, I, don- a- I don't think you can ever blame clutch situations on the assistant coach. I mean, that's a young young core, just young players learning how to play the game. So I wouldn't even look too far into those in Dallas. But, yeah, at the end of the day, it's all about can he be the Harden and Westbrook whisper? Can he get them to make smart decisions when their three isn't falling in game six of the playoffs, come in, take the mid-range, go and drive get balls. He needs somebody that says, get your ass and do these other things. Um, and is he gonna listen to him and do these things? No matter what coach you put in Houston at any given situation, as long as James Harden's healthy, it doesn't matter who's around him. He's gonna win you fifty games and get you in a good position come playoff time, but it's how do you get to the third and the final round of the, the games? You know, it's it's figuring out that and they just they just hired somebody with a high ceiling, I think. And that's all that at the end of the day, that's all you're supposed to do. And that's all you could do. So hopefully they do hire some great assistants. And like I said, it could be the best coaching staff Harden's ever had. I just hope they can relate to them. It could be pretty special, but uh, we definitely been going here. Let's wrap up on this. One transaction that you need to happen in order to, for Houston to do anything this year. I just think the only thing for me, Eric Gordon's got to get the hell out of here, and it I'd take very little for him, to be honest. It just has to be a positive player.
1: To me, I mentioned it earlier, but bring in a big man that gives you the possibility to play different styles. I'm not saying that small ball doesn't have a place, but you, know, you can use it the way you did before when we had those tuck wagon lineups with Tucker at center against the Warriors because it made sense there, but you also need the option of, and the Rockets apparently intended, even after the Capella for Covington trade, they tried to get a Noel type or a DeAndre Jordan. Those deals just didn't work out. I think maybe they thought that Bruno Caboclo could turn into that. He did not. But go out and get someone in the off season. He doesn't have to start, but just get someone off the bench, a big man that for matchups in which you know you need that rim protector, you need the rebounding, maybe to help unlock Harden, you need to get give Harden a lob threat in the pick and roll game. But yeah, go out and get a capable big man that can give you, you know, 15, 20 minutes a night and just the threat of playing different if you're going up against a team in which, you know, the the five out hey ben, is not. Here's, here's
2: a funny for you. I didn't I didn't know if Rush you knew me that well when this was happening, but midway through the season, I don't know, twenty games in or whatever when they fully committed to not playing even Tyson Chandler much really. I was Begging for Isaiah Hartenstein just to get 10 minutes. I don't (laughs) care. I'm like, just give Isaiah Hartenstein 10 minutes. I don't care who it is. Try somebody else. They could bring him back. 6'10 and he can play a little center position. Yeah, exactly. But have somebody ready for when you need to put that guy in that situation. 10 minutes a game. That's it.
0: Yeah, and I mean, that that loops back to all the things we were talking about with, you know, Dantoni and why it was right to let him go and why hopefully Steven Silas you know, is more open to flexibility. You know, you're going to need, in the regular season, you need guys like Isaiah Hardenstein to give you 10 minutes. Maybe every now and then to give you 20 or 25. Just just spot matchups here and there certain nights. You know, there were nights where Hardenstein would give you 15 or 15 out of nowhere. And then there were nights where he was a dud, but that's okay, because he's just a role player, you know. Uh, but, but Dane Tony would treat those guys like they were just non-existent. So hopefully Silas can find ways to utilize those guys. They could bring back Isaiah Hardenstein, for example. I, I'm on this. I'm in the same boat with you. I need Eric Gordon out of here um, for something. I need, and I'm also with Ben because I, we need a big, a big, right, a, a big that is either able to be a playmaker in the front court, ideally able to be some type of playmaker in the front court and hit threes at least at like a 34, 35% clip. Whether that's going to be someone like Aaron Baines, who I realize is not a playmaker in the front court, but someone like Aaron Baines. Ideally, it's someone like Serge Ibaka, uh, Christian Wood. I'd be willing to settle for Al Horford. I don't know what the implications of that are contract- contractually, but just some, somebody that gives you, like Ben said, the semblance of being able to play in the dream, you know, and someone, um, I was talking to someone on Twitter, Krishna, uh, I forget his last name, but Krishna is something. Um, he, he does like, I think, I think he did analytics with,
2: no, not, um, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So he was saying he was, he was posing the question. We were talking, we were arguing about a, uh, Potential Eric Gordon for Al Horford trade with other pieces in it. And um, he was arguing, well, does Al Horford's rim protection really give you more than Robert Covington? And I was just saying, well, first of all, he gives you front court playmaking, which you don't have at all. He gives you a stretch big, which we haven't had. And then let's say, I think his rim protection is better than Robert Covington, just all in all, because he can take up more space and because he weighs more and he's able to kind of bang instead of just being a weak side shot blocker. Um, But Let's say he doesn't. Let's say it's absolutely equivalent to Robert Covington. That still gives you two guys that can do it instead of one. And like that kind of speaks to how desperate the Rockets are for size and length and mobility around the rim. They got one guy, and that guy is six seven. He's not even a big, you know. So I need some type of playmaking big, and I either need an Eric Gordon revival or I need Eric Gordon shift for something. Whether that's whether it's something that can actually play, someone who can actually play, or whether it's just to clear space and open room for someone else down the line. We'll see. I have high hopes for David Nwaba as a higher high energy role player. Um, I think we forget about him a lot when we talk about the Rockets. So man, they're a piece or two away. It's just gotta Same. be the right piece. They gotta use the M L E correctly and they have to be able to trade Gordon for something. And if it's the right right piece, I wouldn't be opposed to losing PJ Tucker for that. With like packaging Gordon and Tucker for the right piece back. I think that might be their best bet. So we'll see.
2: On on that note, Ben, we appreciate you coming on. It's always fun diving into this such an interesting team and al- the team that's always one piece and one injury away yeah, exactly <laughs> thanks for having me guys
0: well, thank you ben and everybody yep, thank you for easy. listening till the next time